Against the Odds, AHC's inaugural podcast series featuring the true stories of real-life bands of brothers who exhibited unparalleled bravery, solidarity, and endurance on the battlefield to come out on top in a fight against impossible odds. Reliving battles from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and Iraq, these are the true stories of the harsh realities of war, as told by the veterans who survived to tell. I'm your host, Shane Bowler, and this week we present the untold story of the Battle of Mortain. Got daylight that morning. That's when all hell broke loose. In World War II, during the summer of 1944, 150 soldiers are holding Hill 314. We didn't know what was going on except that we were surrounded. They will stand against some 12,000 elite German Nazis. Holding off the Germans at this point was the most critical point of the entire war. An epic race between two great armies. Whoever controlled that hill was going to be the victor of the war. In a pivotal battle. At a key moment in the war, they're in the decisive spot. That will decide the fate of the war in Europe. None of them were ready to surrender. They were ready to fight as long as they could. Here's this National Guard unit saving the entire army. This is their story, Against the Odds, the untold story of the Battle of Mortain. June 7th, 1944, England. On June 7th, with the beachheads of Normandy and Omaha still contested, thousands of additional troops are being rushed in to reinforce the escalating battle. Among them are the young men of the 30th Division, a National Guard unit called from the farms and rural towns of Tennessee and Kentucky, from which they've derived their nickname Old Hickory. The unit has predominantly been a training outfit, not a fighting unit, leaving the young men of the 30th with a chip on their shoulders and a desire to prove that Old Hickory is as good as any other unit in the army. Now, for the first time, the Old Hickory will fight as a unit. Few could have imagined that their destiny lie in the small French town of Mortain, in a fight that would prove to be one of the most pivotal battles of World War II. After a stunning strategic victory on the beaches of Normandy, the Allies have run head-on into the dreaded French hedgerows. Sturdy embankments and thick vegetation of 3 to 15 feet high trees and vines, some 10 miles inland from the beaches. Amazingly, these hedgerows, which cover the countryside, provide a significant tactical advantage to the German forces serving as a perfect defense for the Nazis, as well as a formidable obstacle to the Allies. Jack Eddins, Light Mortar Crewman, 30th Infantry Division. We didn't know about nothing about hedgerow fighting. We had to learn, but we learned fast. Frank Towers, Liaison Officer, 30th Infantry Division. In order to get the tanks through there, we had to uh, fabricate like a bulldozer on the front of these tanks and ram it into the, the hedgerow 
And we had to do that for every single hedgerow. And that was a very slow and tedious task. They'd fire from one hedgerow to the other right ahead of us. They laid out a heavy barrage of about old five houses. It sounded like the shell was coming down your collar. No one gained more from the merciless hardships of hedgerows than Hitler. Initially, Adolf Hitler erred badly in judging the Allied intentions. He believed the Normandy landing would be followed by a greater invasion force seizing the Pas de Calais and pressing inland. He therefore refused to send enough armored forces to defeat Allied forces in Normandy, withholding the greater share of tanks in readiness to defeat what he believed was the real invasion site at Calais. By the 18th, the Allies have captured the key town of Saint-Lô, but they have been unable to break out from the staunch German defenses that have dragged the brutal hedgerow fighting out for bitter weeks. But unknown to the Germans, the Americans are secretly unloading fresh divisions for the organization of General George Patton's armor-heavy Third Army. It is part of a bold new plan that U.S. command believes will break the German defenses and lay open the French countryside. The Allies will attempt to break through the German lines with an unprecedented massive aerial bombardment. They will literally carpet bomb and destroy their opponent's forces, allowing American divisions including the 30th, to break through enemy lines surprising the weakened Germans and flooding the French countryside with American forces. All the while, Patton's newly formed armored armada will speed south and smash its way deep into German-held territory in an effort to capture the ports of Brittany and then on to seize the critical transport hub at Avranche, then turning to catch the fleeing German forces as they retreat from Normandy. The ferocity of the bold plan will shock both sides. Most of the Germans pulled back. They could hear the bombers too, because you could hear them hours before they got there. They knew what was coming. Unknown to the troops below, bad weather and poor visibility have already caused Air Force Command to postpone the bombing. But in the chaos, some of the squadrons failed to get the message an error that will prove costly. Tony Jaber, Jr., 1st Mortar Gunner, 30th Infantry Division. It was like, like in a movie. You see all these planes coming in, dropping bombs and striping and everything, and we out there clapping, and, and all of a sudden, they dropped these bombs across the field where we were. Jack Eddins, Light Mortar Crewman, 30th Infantry Division and nothing you could do. Just saturated the whole air with 500-pound bombs. One salvo strikes the 120th Infantry Regiment, the unit expected to spearhead the 30th Division assault through German defenses. The 120th suffered 25 killed and 131 wounded. And there's body parts everywhere that had direct hits. You can see the hand sticking up, a foot sticking out, and dig them out. They got to breathe. I'd never in my life seen a lot of dead people, and it was it was traumatic. Sanlo Perrier Highway, July 25th, 1944. 
The next day, the weather's better, so they're gonna bomb again. This time, the bombing starts off beautifully. It's hitting right where they're supposed to. Everything's good. The problem was there was a wind blowing from the south that blew the smoke gradually north towards the American troops. And the later bombers that came through bombed into the smoke cloud, and so the 120th gets bombed again. And I was standing there looking at it. I was petrified. I didn't know what to do. And somebody hollered, hit, hit the ditch. About the time all of us hit the ditch, these bombs hit the ground and they exploded all around us. Two days in a row, they bombed us. You lose so many friends. You call them your brothers. You can't stop, you know that. The war's not over. You got a lot of things to do yet. And just pray to God that you can survive. Tragically, this time there are 111 American soldiers killed and 490 wounded, with Old Hickory suffering the majority of losses. Despite the tragic accident, the bombers have dropped the vast majority of their bombs on the intended targets, wreaking hell on the German defenses. The men of Old Hickory, bleeding and shaken, rise from their foxholes and push forward into the attack once again. The breakout is achieved, and with it, Hitler's initial efforts to push the Allies back into the sea had vanished, for now. The young men of Old Hickory, so desperate to prove themselves in battle, are now in pursuit of the fleeing German force. Hitler, seething at the news of the breakout, could never have imagined the coming firestorm that had been set in motion. Soon enough, he will hear of a group of young, feisty fighters known as Old Hickory, in possession of a small hill in the French town of Mortain. Both will become a nightmare that will force him into one of the most pivotal battles of the entire war. Wolf Slayer, Rostenburg, Poland, July 20th, 1944. With the Allied success in Normandy, and word that Patton's Third Army is racing towards Avranche, in an effort to trap fleeing German forces, Hitler must stop the bleeding. Trusting no one and ignoring the plans of his generals, Hitler reveals his own plan for a massive counteroffensive. He initiates Operation Lutisch, marshalling a total of six Panzer and Panzer Grenadier divisions, supported by hundreds of fighter aircraft and some 12,000 soldiers. He will smash through Allied lines in an effort to cut the coastal road, block Patton's supply line, and isolate his third army in order to destroy it. At the center of the coming epic battle lay a small, little French town that would change everything, Mortain. So begins one of the most critical cat-and-mouse races of World War II, as two of the greatest armies in history race to trap and destroy the other. Hitler states, it will be the most decisive battle of the entire war. He could hardly imagine anything or anyone stopping his mighty juggernaut. On August 2nd, 1944, 
The young men who will soon be taking on Hitler's mighty force have been fighting non-stop for 49 days. The army arranges a three-day pass to allow the exhausted men to rest, relax, and reorganize their butchered ranks. Frank Towers. We were looking forward to a week rest and recuperation. We had lost a lot of our troops, and uh, we were exhausted by that time. This gave us an opportunity to have showers, get haircuts, write letters home. We received new clothing, better and more food at the time, and uh, gave us a chance to rest. The break from the battle lifts morale among most of the soldiers, giving some a sense of confidence that the end of the war might be in sight. But for Old Hickory, there will be no relief. On August 5th, the men of Old Hickory are ordered to move 46 miles south to replace the 1st Division in and around the small town of Mortain. Traveling by day, the journey takes almost nine hours to complete due to the happy French citizens who insist in greeting the troops at every opportunity, showering them with wine, flowers, and kisses. What they couldn't know at the time is that their small units of 450 men are heading into an epic struggle against some 12,000 hardened Germans. Saturday, August 5, 1944. By early afternoon, Old Hickory finally arrives in Mortain. They quickly begin the standard changeover of command, taking control of the town from the 1st Division. The town of Mortain itself is only of marginal interest to the new defenders. But the single feature of the town that makes it so important and dictated the struggle that is about to occur is Hill 314. From the top on a cleary day, parts of three French provinces, Normandy, Brittany, and Maine are seen. The all-important road hub by the sea, Avaranche, and the bay of Mont-Saint-Michel are visible to the west. Also, clearly in view, are the two critical roads running east and west of Hill 314. These views provide a critical strategic advantage to the defending artillery forward observer who could call down deadly artillery fire onto any oncoming invaders. Unknown to the Americans, both of these roads will be key to Hitler's counteroffensive plans. Unknown to Hitler is the small group of audacious fighters now taking command of the hill. Tony Jaber, Jr. We moved up on the hill in the afternoon of August the 6th, which was a Sunday. It was a nice day, sunny. I talked to one of the guys in the 1st Division, and I asked him, I said, what's going on? And he said, nothing, everything's quiet. Quiet and peaceful. And I thought, well, this could be a picnic up here. That's what he told me, too. Frank Towers. From the top of that hill, we had observation about 180 degrees that we could see out 15 to 20 miles, all the road network area in front of us. Whoever controlled that hill was going to be the victor of the war. Jack Eddins. We dug in, and even sent us chow up there. We had chow, hot chow. And we thought we was in paradise. The peace and quiet of the French countryside is to be short-lived. 
In just a few short hours, Mortane will erupt into one of the most critical and bloody battles of World War II. Three miles east of Mortain, at the headquarters of the 47th Panzer Corps, General Hans Funk, commander of the German 47th Panzer Corps and Operation Lutisch, is closing in on Mortain. Stressing the need for a stealthy approach, he aims to take the Americans by surprise. But with some 12,000 infantry and about 185 tanks, more than one-third being the highly maneuverable Mark V Panthers, they are anything but quiet. At 11 p.m., the men on Hill 314 can hear the sounds of distant guns and the slight hum of tanks. But that is nothing new in a war zone, so most of the men settle in for the night. They have no idea that higher command had just received intercepted messages warning of a massive attack on Mortain. Around 11 p.m., the field office phones begin to ring. So I was on guard duty that night. Captain came by and I gave it to him. Although I was naive and only 19 years old, the first thing he said when he made the phone call to that platoon leader, he said, you hold that hill at all costs. And I came alert. We were told that Hill 314 that hill had to be held at all costs. At about 1 a.m., Sergeant Robert Bondurant, a longtime member of the 120th Regiment since 1938, is stringing field telephone wire in the town. With a full moon, there is plenty of light, enough to also realize that Mortain is in trouble. Bondurant looks up and sees at the end of the street German soldiers, maybe 30 or more. The town is full of them. Quickly, Bondurant races to the battalion headquarters and spreads the word. The battalion commander, Lieutenant Colonel Eads Hardaway, immediately informs the regimental commander, Colonel David Burks, by phone. Burks is adamant. Hold the town at all costs. The Battle of Mortain is now underway. We'd pull back on the other side of the slope where we set up our mortars. And it got daylight that morning. That's when all hell broke loose. With Mortain surrounded, forward observers stationed on the hill like Bob Weiss are now the only ones in contact with higher Allied command. With radio in hand and a clear view of the surrounding countryside, Weiss is the key to the direction of artillery fire from surrounding units onto the German forces below. Already, Bob Weiss is proving why Hill 314 is so critical to both sides. All he has to do is stay alive. After three hours of intense battle, the overwhelming German forces take the town of Mortain from the small group of soldiers fighting to hold it. With Mortain in German hands, the 150 or so U.S. soldiers on the hill are completely cut off and surrounded by two German panzer divisions with some 12,000 elite Nazi soldiers. With German forces probing every part of the hill in search of an avenue of attack, the young men of Old Hickory must hold them back and protect their vital forward observers. We didn't know 
what was going on. We hadn't been told anything except that we were surrounded. We had no idea that that hill was as, as important as it was. This particular battle and holding off the Germans at this point was probably the, the most critical point of the entire war. Tank fire was hit the old riders. Everything was just a mess. I lost my company. I couldn't find nobody. I, I, as far as I know, I was the only one in the group. You overrun like that, you, you get all mixed up. We got to find a way out of here. They got us all they in here with us, and they're all around us. About the time that uh, we thought was going to give up, it's two uh, British typos shooting rockets, and they started firing on these Germans, and they pinned them down. The Lord was with us that day. None of them were ready to surrender. They were ready to fight as long as they could. On Thursday, August 8th, as the battle for Hill 314 moves into its second day, the men, unprepared for an extended fight, begin running low on ammunition, food, and more importantly, batteries for radios for the forward observers that are keeping them all alive. The radios were losing power. The batteries were going dead. Artillery was the only people we had communication with. Battalion headquarters, battalion aid station, everything had been overrun. And we didn't have any, any uh, communication with uh, regiment or anybody else. The batteries gave out on the radios. They had no way of getting replacements. And fortunately, Bob Weiss had extra batteries to operate his radio and he became the only contact that the entire battalion had with the headquarters. Alwyn Featherston, author, The Battle for Mortain. Uh, they could survive without food for several days, but if those radio batteries ever died, they couldn't call in artillery support. Many of these men uh, had to devise methods to survive up on that hill. They had absolutely nothing to eat, so they had to scrounge as best they could and find native foods that were available. And at the same time, they had to be fighting the Germans. The Germans were constantly attacking. Fearless, I call them fearless men. I don't know what made them that way. I guess God did. If I didn't see a coward in my platoons, I think they was all brave men. They, they, they do anything for you, help you. You're lucky too. I say you gotta be lucky, not just trained for what you got to be lucky. Everybody's not lucky. Unknown to Old Hickory, their resolve holding Hill 314 is providing American command with an incredible opportunity to unleash a devastating blow to Hitler's entire European war machine. Hitler, furious at the delays, removes the operation's commander, Marshal Klug, 
and orders Lieutenant General Heinrich Eberbach and his forces around Kane to race towards Mortain with the sole intention of annihilating the men of Old Hickory to once and for all gain control of Hill 314. Within hours of General Eberbach attempting to build the force necessary to complete Hitler's new plan, General Omar Bradley, commander of all U.S. ground forces invading Germany, discovers Hitler's plan by way of decoded intercepts. Bradley stated that Hitler's throwing more troops into the fight was the greatest tactical blunder I've ever heard of. With Hitler concentrating so many armor forces to the west, he is leaving himself weak in the east. It was a weakness Bradley would exploit. Bradley will turn Patton loose to drive north, while Montgomery's British forces drive south in an effort to catch Hitler's panzer group racing towards Mortain. It is a rare opportunity to overpower what could be the strongest German force in France. But key to the plan is Old Hickory's ability to continue to block the powerful panzer divisions in and around Mortain, long enough for Patton and Montgomery to get in position. To assist the struggling Old Hickory at Mortain, Bradley rushes in the U.S. 35th Infantry Division, but they are quickly delayed by stiff German resistance. For now, the men on Hill 314 are still on their own. I thought we'd be there forever. Every day, word would come to us that somebody was going to rescue us. They never showed up, and we got to the point. We didn't believe we were going to be rescued. Now here's this National Guard unit saving the entire army. One battalion had this load on their shoulders of protecting the First Army. For five days, less than 150 men of Old Hickory have held the critical hill 314 against a force of some 12,000 German soldiers supported by close to 200 tanks. But they have no idea that a furious Hitler has diverted no less than four divisions to reinforce the battle and take Hill 314 from the handful of unyielding Old Hickory soldiers. Racing to trap Eberbach's Panzer Division is General Patton's Third Army and Montgomery's British forces. But all will be lost if the men atop Hill 314 fail to hold off the German hordes long enough for them to get into place. Germans came up with a white flag up the hill where we were. Went up, talked to the captain, and like I say, being naive, I thought they wanted to surrender. They wanted us to surrender. And my captain, company commander, told them to go to hell. Said, we're not going to surrender until every bayonet and every round of ammunition is expended, every bayonet's broken in your bastard bellies. That's what he told them. The men, even though they were seriously injured, they were shouting to Ralph not to accept any surrender from the Germans. Don't surrender, don't surrender. On August 11th, two hours after Hitler's planned assault by Panzer Group Eberbach was supposed to begin, 
news of the front begins to pour in. Hitler's ambitious plans for destroying American forces in and around Mortain was dissolving into inaction under the persistent stubbornness of Old Hickory. The final straw was cast by General Eberbach himself, nervously reporting to Hitler that they have failed to rally enough tanks and men for the assault. With Allied air power so strong, they feared exposure and complete annihilation. Hitler finally sees the writing on the wall. His desire for an epic clash between the two great armies would not take place. Hitler is forced to withdraw his forces from Mortain. Hitler has been defeated by a group of less than 150 young, brash, American National Guardsmen who refused to give up. They had won the Battle of Mortain in something far greater than a hill. We went down the hill and we saw all the damage and destruction and everything that was in back of us. I mean, it was for miles in back of us. Coming off that hill, everything was destroyed for miles in back of us. Old Hickory had paid dearly for their incredible stand with 300 killed, wounded, or lost. Many of the missing were prisoners of the Germans It would not return home until 1945. By tying up powerful German divisions, Old Hickory's victory at Mortain had given the Allies an opportunity to liberate France and open the gateway that would lead them to Germany. But more importantly, they delivered personally a devastating defeat to Hitler, who had tried in vain to annihilate them. It would mark the beginning of his downfall. Al Featherston. These citizen soldiers, guys that had not been in the army that long, that, that were not professional soldiers, are put in the position where just at a key moment in the war, they're, they're in the decisive spot. And they get a chance to prove themselves, and they prove themselves as, as effective, efficient, as courageous as any troops in the war. Frank Towers. This, this was a, uh, a sort of a feather in our cap that, uh, that we had fought against the, uh, particularly the first SS uh, armored division, which was the elite division of the German army. And we defeated them. Tony Jaber. I, I, I'm not a hero, by any means. I was there, that's the whole thing. But I've always been proud of the 3rd Division. It, it was a good group. Jack Eddins. I think they was all good then. I didn't see any bad ones in there. They, they did their duty, and they were like a brother. You lose one of them, it's like losing a brother. It never leaves your mind. I mean, it, it, it's always in your head. It's planted in your brain. You never forget it. A hell of no cowards, I call it. 
This podcast was produced by the American Heroes Channel. I'm your host, Shane Bowler. Thank you for listening.